For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. <clears throat> Hi, uh, Monday evening. I'm going to try to do the parsha, which is being um, sponsored by the Rosberg family and my show by SD Rosberg and her family because tomorrow, tonight, and tomorrow. Which is your test kiss of it's not only the uh, yard set of the Lubavitch or Evie and the Magen and but also of Dr. Mark Rosberg, <coughs> who passed away a number of years ago from a terrible illness. Uh, and Mark was uh, in our show, and he was uh, a leading uh, pediatric anesthesiologist. I think that's how it goes at Hopkins. You know what that means. So he's at the top of the game. He took it very seriously. Um, and now his son is following his footsteps. He's not going for pediatric anesthesiology, I don't think Chaim is, but he's going for something pediatric. Um, and in the residency, and uh, the Rosberg family in general, and Esty Rosberg who's sponsoring this, she's <clears throat> really the Asia's Kyle of our synagogue. That's not an exaggeration. And uh, it helps a lot of people. That's an understatement, and we're very honored to do this in memory of Mark. I'd only throw in, since this is happening just after the Israeli elections, since Mark was a big fan of Mayor Kahana, I think, you know, if the elections, if he were alive today, the family would be moving tomorrow, he'd be put in charge of the Israeli police, but yet tomorrow, Ben Gavir, they were like two soulmates. And uh, I guess the family would have to have two residences, one in Israel, one in Baltimore. But anyway, uh, as they say, in the Shem Shem and Aliyah. <clears throat> now, uh, I was thinking last week about Esau and how all this affected him, as I mentioned last week in the podcast, and somebody asked me from Israel, Moshe Levi asked me one about Yosef, and that's today's partial, of course, as we know by Yeshev and, and Miketz of Aegis, is all about the story of Joseph. <clears throat> that's the main protagonist in all this. I know the other brothers in there also, I get it, but you know, mainly it's about Yosef, and may I say that as is true with all biblical stories, uh, characters, it's a story about character development, at least the way I read it. You know, Yosef at the beginning of the parsha is not the Joseph at the end of the parsha. Uh, events have uh, conspired to cause him uh, pretty harshly to mature and change, as I think we know. Uh, now, there's a very big difference between uh, Esau on the one and Yosef on the other. Esau, nothing bad happened to him. They cheated him out of the birthright. I get that, but like I argued last week, but he still did very well on his own. And it was like a blip on the radar screen. You know, uh, he didn't get the bracha ruchnius, but he did very well with the gashmius. The Torah goes to the great trouble to tell us how well he did with the gashmius. So that's why he could get past it. Joseph is a different story. He was traumatized. I think there's no question in my mind about that. And pro properly so. Not to be traumatized would be weirdo. He was kidnapped by his own brothers. You know, it's supposed to be the family is the safe space. Outside, especially in the Middle East, is the unsafe space. By him, it's the other way around. Joseph does very well on the outside. The place he can't be and save his life is on the inside. That's weird. That's <clears throat> Ibrahim's stuff. It's the opposite of what it should be. As we all know, the brothers conspire to kill him. I say again, to kill him. If you go like Rashi, like the Gemara, the famous Gemara in Bamem Adlikin, by the way, in, in the in the Hanukkah Sagib, where it says they threw him into a pit full of snakes and scorpions. So that means they tried to kill him. Okay, if that Chazal is literally true, you know, you never know it goes with these Midrashim. Could be, maybe it has some figurative meaning, I don't know. But if you say 
They talk about Orwell's nineteen eighty four. You throw a guy in. I mean, just think about this in terms of trauma. Yosef was nar, as the Chazal put it. He was uh, doing his hair, looking at his hand, admiring himself in the mirror like Narcissus, like a Romanian policeman, you know. And he was oblivious. That's the point I want to make. He was oblivious to the effect that his words had to those around him. There's no question about that. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't have shot his mouth off. He wouldn't have said, I had dreams, you know. And uh, whatever the Lashon is over there. You all bow down to me. And then Hashem Everyone's bowing down to me. And he didn't realize it's going to tick off the brothers. You understand? And when he got the uh, the, 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 the cloak and the Ksonos Possum and wore it around the house, uh, he didn't realize it's going to tick off the others. Obviously, he was oblivious to this. He, he was a Nar. He was very smart, but there was no actualization of the smartness. In terms of interpersonal relationship, he was clueless because he went to visit the brothers. He didn't realize, go out at night to visit the brothers. The father also, by the way, was. He went, Jacob would not have sent him. Uh, although, you and I know that now that the story's over. <clears throat> I think I spoke about this in the past. Did Yosef know that the father wasn't part of the plot? Remember, he said, you're going to bow down to me too. Hashem means Yaakov is also going to bow down to him. Which did happen. Correct? By Vayechi. By, I mean, in the end, Yaakov bows down to him. That is true. Uh, but nobody knew it at the time in Vayeshev. And that was outrageous that the father should bow down to a son. And who's to say, you know, I mean, if I'm Yosef and I'm la 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 la, I'm, I'm going to visit my brothers. Next thing I know, they jump me. They tear me to bits, throw me in the pit full of snakes and scorpions, which is a super traumatic experience. I mean, I do realize that they didn't bite him, but they were crawling all over him and stuff like that, and that's enough to freak you out. Isn't that true? Isn't that so? Just think about what I'm saying. He's covering and walking all over snakes and scorpions. It's a nace. It was a nace that they didn't bite him. But, <laughs> oh my goodness, talk about a traumatic experience. And maybe the father was behind it. And when Yosef is bundled up and put into with the Midianite uh, slave traders and they take him to Egypt, man, how does he know? It could very well be. Let me put it this way. When he's in Egypt, he's in tremendous trauma and pain. When he finally has children, he says, on ye. I've been given children in the land of my affliction. The land of my affliction wasn't simply Egypt. His home at Sias was on ye because he was his own, like I said before, the ones in whom you put the trust, they're the ones that kill you. It's not the same thing, so don't freak out, but it's the same idea that, you know, somebody, as you read about today, unfortunately in situations, is molested by a member of their own family. Besides the, 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 the which happens in the front community as well as any other, and besides the sadness of the whole Messias, you know, another, aside from the heart of the incident itself, the trust, the betrayed trust, you know, the father, the uncle, the this, whoever it was, the one you're supposed to be safe with, this one turned out to be the source of the thing. That's what happened to Yosef. It wasn't molesting, I get it, but they tried to kill him. And at the end, they sold him into a slavery, which as far as they know, that's the end of him, baby. They sent him off and they didn't know where. As far as they know, he's going to end up in the salt mines and the work come to an early death. That's usually what happens. Okay? It so happened that because Yosef enjoyed divine providence, so the whole thing, you know, took a certain spin. <laughs> Ordinarily, remember the brothers were not go race the divine providence. You know what I'm saying? They did not believe it. Let me put it this way. 
if we ask a straightforward question, how did the guy keep his sanity? Be'eretz Onyi. How did he keep his sanity? His father, his mother, brothers, everybody tried to kill him, to destroy him, all the rest of it. And he wants to stay Jewish. Uh, and he says, Gunov, Gunavti, Me'eretz Every, I was stolen. How do you keep your sanity? Uh, that's why, in my reading, we're told about the dreams beforehand. Yosef knew about these dreams, cause he, so he knew there was going to be some kind of light or something at the end of the tunnel. That this is, he's undergoing a strange experience, but there's, there's a method to the madness. There's a purpose behind this. There's some kind of Ashkacha practice in some crazy way behind this, which was the case, as we know, because he ends up as Viceroy, etc., etc. But he went through a, a, a lousy time. <clears throat> so first of all, they threw him into the pit. <clears throat> now, if it was full of snakes and scorpions, their mamas tried to kill him. It's, if it's not true, they at least threw him into the pit, and he, and he cried out, get me out of here. The reason I say if it's not literally true is because I don't know how to work this out myself, but if they mamas threw him into a pit with snakes and scorpions, and he didn't get eaten, or bitten, I mean, then why didn't they see that he's protected by Shkocha Pratis? You, you know what I'm saying? No, that ain't normal. Why didn't they say, hey, maybe his dream is Takatru? Because if you throw somebody in with a bunch of snakes, you're a dead guy. And here they're slithering all over him and hissing and all this other kind of junk. Make, it make quite a movie, you know? It reminds, ordinarily, if somebody survives an experience like that, that's like a nice nigla and a, and, a, and a big proof that God is on your side. That is the story of Daniel, is it not? Where when he survived the lion's den, the king, who's a guy, King Darius, says, I see your God that you serve saved you. No, I recognize Anais. I recognize Hashkocha Pratis when I see it. I ain't that dumb. Okay, nobody survives in a lion's den overnight. So who survives in a, in a scorpion and snake pit? Okay? Uh, I don't, maybe it doesn't mean it literally. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. When I say I don't know, that's a statement of fact. <laughs> what you can see is that he had a terrible experience and um, somehow he holds on to his sanity. Now, I don't know what exactly would happen. I can only, you know, guess. And what I can guess is, as they say, the character development of Yosef, which is very interesting in my mind, and that is the following. Uh, Yosef was bundled up and thrown into a pit and then picked up and thrown into a, a Midianite slave, a Ishmaelite slave traders, who are a rough crew. I mean, we know about the Arab slavers, you know. Uh, as he was being schlepped to points unknown, turns out to be Egypt. So either he could just lose it and say, ah, and maybe did. Or he can say like this, don't lose it and start to analyze the situation. And what is it that caused my own family to kill me or throw me away for a slave? I mean, what did I do to take him off? Get what I'm saying? In other words, it had to be a wake-up call to Yosef, who until now thought everything was great. That's why he went to see the brothers in the middle of the night. He had no idea that they hate him so much that they're going to try to kill him or, or something bad. So if he, he had no idea. He was he was in la-la land. But all of a sudden, he ain't. He gets a sharp wake-up call, and they're all out to kill him. And I want to repeat, as far as he knows, how does he know the father was behind it, wasn't behind it? As far as I can tell... Only later in what uh, Mikates and all that, when they say, oh, our father is crying over the, the dead brother, probably was ding 
in the mind of Yosef, he said, oh, he wasn't part of it. You see? Uh, how do you know? So he must have swung into survival mode. And he said like this, you know, until now I was a nar, and I acted foolishly, and I didn't think about what the other person's going to think, the effect my words have on them. But now, I see, wherever God is sending me, I got to fix that one. And believe you me, from the time he lands in Egypt, he walks the tightrope, and he switches to a completely different Joseph. He's no longer the nar and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, traipsing around that doesn't care what anybody else says. He's 100% attuned to what the other person says. In fact, that's how he rises in power. We don't know the whole details of how he gets bought by Potiphar and rises in Potiphar's household, but clearly the guy was on the ball and, you know, he discerned how he can be of use to the master and that's how he rose in service. <clears throat> For all we know, I mean, it's very hard to tell. There are some, let me put it this way, there are some Chazals and it makes sense who say, look, there's a 17-year-old kid uh, with beautiful hair and good-looking face. That's actually not good in the slave market. You understand? That's not good in the slave market, especially in the old world, because you might be picked up by who knows who for who knows what. And there are those, there are Midrashim and Chazals that say that Potiphar became a serious attempting to mess over with Yosef and so on and so forth. You know, it's a uh, Again, you're in the area of the Agatitas, so you don't know exactly how to maneuver because there are different Agatitas that don't agree with each other. But it is very possible that Yosef was picked because he was good-looking. Uh, on the other hand, um, on the other hand, the Pashim shot would be he was bought as a slave. He started at the bottom and worked his way to the top. Uh, you know, day one, they put him in the salt mines. Then they saw the guy knows how to read and write. They said, we can use it better in the office. Then they saw he knows how to do bookkeeping, so they moved him to the back office. And then they saw he actually has very good recommendations for the boss above him how to run the business. And they moved him to the back, back office. You understand? And then Potiphar said like this, uh, he should run my my family affairs. In other words, my estate and all the rest of it. Isn't that what he says to the wife? He says, I'm in charge of everything except you. I'm the boss of this whole household. So Potiphar was a big macher. He had plantations, estates, and who knows what, and slaves and all the rest of it. And he left the Jew <laughs> to run the operation like the Polish princes and the Commonwealth of Poland back, you know, hundreds of years ago. Uh, you know, Potiphar did his own thing. He was uh, Sara Tabachim, Rava Tabachim, which means that's in Oriental countries, that's a very high position. It's like a prime minister or something like that up there at the top. And, uh, you know, he leaves all the affairs, the day-to-day affairs in the hands of Joseph, as we know the story. So he worked himself up from the bottom. And you can be doggone sure that he was not the Yosef who just is thinking about himself and not thinking about anybody else. In a slave situation, you have to uh, psychoanalyze and read the Goyim around you and find out what they want and how you can supply it and rise in their favor and gain benefits for yourself. That's how the system works. Okay, and that's been the history of Claudius in many places. That's what you got to do, and he completely changes to a different person, and he realizes the only way to rise in those situations is to make yourself uh, indispensable by providing such efficient service that they can't do without you. There, there's no other way because a slave has no power, and that is what he does. Um, 
Ad Kadei Kach, that he has a high reputation, you know, by the Egyptians. This has got to be the reason why Potiphar didn't kill him when she said that he, he attacked her, right? Uh, you know, uh, he didn't believe it. I will tell you a story. I'm not going to use any names because I don't want to, you know, get anybody. I don't want to be specific. But I know a person who um, worked in a business which was run by a guy, a Christian guy. Um, and the guy's daughter, a married daughter, uh, tried to attack this guy, right? Like Potiphar's wife. I'm such a situation. And he said no. Repeatedly, you know what I mean. Notice he said he 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 uh, declined, rejected, and then she did the same thing. Boy, be. She said to her father, "This guy uh, came on to me, tried to attack me." And the father said to the, said the following. He says, "I know this guy who's a from Jew. I know this guy, and I know you. You're lying, and he's telling the truth. I'm firing you." He fired his own daughter. This really happens. You understand? Now, uh, because you can tell, you know, what's going on. Uh, Potiphar's wife is probably, let me put it this way. Joseph, wherever he is, has to walk a tightrope. When the boss's wife is going after him, he had to make many calculations. And, you know, it's true. I mean, we do have a famous chazal. So I'll tell you again, the Midrashim all over the place. That you and I have heard since we're kids, which is Nizdamlano Dmus Duke Nishalavib, that Yosef was going to do it, but his father's image came to him and he said no, meaning he had an attack of conscience. But it could also be the attack of, of enlightened self interest. And he said, I guess, I'm a slave. I get involved with the boss's wife. But, you know, sooner or later it's going to be a bad end. <laughs> you understand? This ain't coming to a good end. Uh, and I'm sure I ain't the first guy she ever chased after. And what happened to all the other guys? You know, in other words, plain common sense, you don't have a minute to breathe. Every second, you have to make split-second decisions, you know, to, to a life and death or, or, or failure, success, or things like this. I'm sure I mentioned, I forget where I read it, that the Kleisenberger Rebbe, when he was in the concentration camp for a year, uh, if I remember the story correctly, uh, he didn't anything trade. He only ate kosher food, you know, like a raw potato or something like that. And now you're allowed to eat. Uh, in that situation where people are starving to death, they were starving to death, you're allowed to eat treif. And he told the others, including his chassidim, you go and eat treif. In Dachau, you know what I mean, in, under those conditions of the Holocaust. So they said, well, why don't you? And he said, I guess I'm the leader, and what I'm afraid of is the following. When you eat treif, even though you're allowed to, but it's metamtimus alev. That is to say, he screws up your judgment. And every day in the concentration camp, you have repeated cases where you have to make split-second decisions, you know, life or death. You know, the Germans say, go here. Who's volunteering for this? Who's going to go this, that, and the other? And, you know, you got to call it right. If you call it wrong once, you're dead. And I'm afraid, so I need a clear uh, judgment. I can't have timtum alev. You get it? So it's, it, it, besides, the, the din is you can eat it. But I'm just worried about having to, it, it would compromise my ability to make correct decisions under emergency conditions. Well, Yosef was like that. You know, he had to walk a tightrope, like I say, for the rest of his life, until he was done in Egypt. He was, a, as we would say today, a from Jew who was the head of Egypt. 
uh, that's not push it at all. And, you know, you got to watch about, you know, don't offend this one, do offend that one, push this idea, refrain from pushing that idea. I mean, it was a tough call, tough job that he had. And, uh, you know, he can never afford to make one misstep. Uh, look how he so conducted himself that the boss believed him and not her. Because if, if, if Potiphar would believe his wife, he would have killed him. Probably tortured him to death. Instead, as we know, he put him in a, in a prison. Now, I've said many times in the past, especially if you've ever read Michel Foucault, that um, prison in the old days, until 200 years ago, didn't exist as we understand it today, where the jail time is the punishment. Today, if somebody, let's say, for example, robs a bank, they'll give him the marshal five years in jail. So the sitting in jail is the punishment. But in the older world, they couldn't understand that. It makes no sense. And they're not wrong. LMI, in the old days, if somebody committed a crime, like robbed a bank, they break his arm, chop off a hand, whip him 39 times or whatever, you know, beat the heck out of him, something like that, and then you go home. You follow that, and the punishment is done. Uh, and hopefully you learn your lesson by having your back ripped to bits by a cat of nine tails. Uh, that's how they did it. You didn't go to jail. Jail was only a holding place until the trial. And pretty and, and when in the world I'm talking about, the punishment was administered after the trial. Jail as a long-term situation was only for political prisoners. If you have a king, and for whatever reason, he's got political situations, is he wants this guy on ice or that person out of the way, but they don't want to kill him yet for whatever reason, so you put him in a dungeon in a jail, which is what happened uh, by Tino So, uh, it says in the Parsha that he put him in a jail for VIPs. That that was the only kind of jail in the ancient world, the VIPs. So Yosef had to discern if it's if it's literally true that the snakes didn't bite him, then he saw he's been guided by a providence. Even if you not don't say that, but he saw that he always ended up in Egypt among the elites. You know, Yosef theoretically could have been sold as a slave to some Egyptian hillbilly and work like a dog on somebody's stupid little farm somewhere in Egypt. Why not? You know, that's what a lot of slaves did. Or if some middle-class fellow, you know, carry my stuff around me in the household, all the rest of it. But that's not what happened. Yosef got purchased by Rockefeller. You understand? By, uh, you know, by the, by Bill Gates. By Potiphar. So right off the bat, Jerusalem some arranged matters that he should be dumped with the highest people and therefore you have a chance possibly to influence your, your situation. Which of course we know happened after a whole bunch of screwball circumstances. Uh, in all of this, he is suffering, but he's on survival mode. Therefore, he doesn't allow it to take him down. You understand? Uh, that's how Yosef has to live his life, uh, because he knows his brothers tried to kill him, uh, and he can't let he can't think about that, so to speak. Now, psychologically, I'm sure you can't not think about it, but you can't think about it. And you have to, instead, say, from now on, I'm not going to make a mistake around these Egyptians that I made around my brothers, which was to take them off. I'm going to make sure I don't take them off the opposite. And uh, and that's what he did. Because even when he went into the prison, he rose to the top of the prison. Meaning he made himself indispensable. Ain't Sarbesa so roa koma uma. You know, the, 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 the head of the prison... Saw nothing wrong with him. That is to say, he became a big macher in the jail. 
So wherever Yosef was, he made himself of service to the people in charge, not becoming an idol worshiper, and not succumbing to Ashes Potiphar, you know, and 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 not giving up his basic identity. He said, "Gunuf Ganavdi married to Ivrim," but at the same time, being of extreme service to his Egyptian masters. Ad Kedekach that eventually, um, he met the right guy who got him out of jail. Now I know the Chazal very well, like you do, and. You know, he shouldn't have put his trust in the politicians and the fake Chazanish and all the rest of it. I hear that, you know. They're trying to explain the two-year gap. But if you go push him shot, push him shot, he played his cards the best he could. He walked that tightrope. Providence brought him in contact with Saramashkin. Saramashkin was eventually released, as Yosef predicted. Saramashkin was a regular official. Two years later, when the conditions, you know, Fair had a dream... So, you know, the fire of Saramashka said, I know a guy who, who who might help with the dream. You know, uh, willy-nilly. So it's not a question of, you know, he trusts the politician, not trust him. But he played his cards the best he could, and he, and he turned out to play correctly. Because if he not told the Saramashka, remember me, then the guy wouldn't have remembered him. You understand? So he did it. He, he worked the best he could in the situation he found himself. Uh, how he did that psychologically... It's not easy to tell. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, probably was a, a, you know, a very extremely painful situation. Uh, which is why in Parshish Miketz and Vigash, you have the therapy, you know, with the brothers and all the rest of it, where literally, you know, what 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 do they say? I mean, I'm not a shrink or anything like that, but they, you know, the, the best situation is where the perpetrator comes and says, I'm sorry. You're right, I'm wrong, I did wrong to you, and all the rest of it. That doesn't usually happen. Well, you and I know the story. By the time it's over, in Miketz and Vayigash, that's what happens. You know what I'm saying? That's what happens. Now, does that excuse ruining my life and so on and so forth? Since you see the perpetrators eventually say we were wrong, you know, Al-Kain Ba'aleinu, B'zchan Al-Lesh Lorinu, Al-Kain Ba'aleinu, Avol Hashemim Anachnu, remember they said that? And the next week's part, it's our fault. I mean, that's what you need to hear. Uh, that's what, unfortunately, is not heard nowadays in so many cases of this molesting and other things. You know, you don't hear the person come confess and says, I did wrong to you. You're the victim. You were in the right. I was in the wrong. And I'm just, you know, and, and, and I'm sorry it happened. And I want to be clear that I do not deny your narrative. You see, I do not deny your narrative. Uh, that's like of gigantic importance. Now, again, I'm not a shrink, so I don't know, but I mean, that that obviously must have brought a profound, uh, I don't know, feeling of satisfaction or something like that in the mind of Yosef um, until the story unfolds, you know, when he rescues the brothers and all the rest of it. But in our Parsha today, that didn't happen. And so he's going around with a lot of pain, He's not like Asaph, you understand? And I don't think he got past it. But he realized he can't be like he was when he was 17. And he's got to uh, go the other extreme. And he and he was able to do it, okay? So harsh necessity drove him from the original Nar to the uh, to the guy in, in, in Potiphar's house and the guy in the, in the jail, who's no Nar. He's saying the opposite. He knows how to maneuver better than anybody else 
in the Geisha society, even though he had no experience in that Geisha society. He grew up in Yako's house. Uh, that was stern necessity. So it's just very interesting that you see this characteristic of Yosef developing under harsh conditions, um, which, which might have broken him. That's the thing. Then we wouldn't have a story. Uh, other people went through this kind of business and, and, and emerged broken. There are many people today who have family trauma. Uh, you know, maybe they didn't throw them to a pit, but in a certain sense, stories you hear all the time, it's, it's like throwing somebody into a pit. I mean, when somebody mistreats a younger person like you read about, they're basically throwing you into... into in, for the victim, you're being thrown into a, a pit full of snakes and scorpions. I mean, that's what it's psychologically. You understand? Yeah. Matter of fact, remember in Orwell's 1984, they threw him into with the rats? You know, it's, it, it's, it's the worst sort of thing. This is why today, unlike yesterday... Today, we're now more sensitive to the victims. Uh, now, that hasn't totally penetrated the firm world, but it's getting there. <clears throat> Today, we realize the main person to protect is not the perpetrator, but the victims. Because uh, the victims went through a, um, were in a pit, uh, you know, um, with, with Nasha Nakravim. And unfortunately, <clears throat> you know, we, the general society, can often say, uh, you know, that sometimes these victims are calling out, you know, and, 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 and we acted like we didn't hear and, and we didn't, uh, you know, and we didn't uh, see uh, when we really did hear and we did see. Instead, we sit down to eat a meal while the other person is, is, is writhing in the pain. In the case of Yosef, because he was Yosef, he had a shkocha protest and he had a stronger sense of character and he didn't let this knock him down. Uh, I'm sure because of the sense of Ashkacha Pratis. Like I said before, this is why we're told in Parshat Vayesha in the beginning he had the dreams. You understand? And if he survived Nashim Akravim, then that was a confirmation also that, you know, he's he's a Baranese. You know, he, he has a destiny. Hashem is, is protecting him against, against uh, you know, physical harm. Otherwise, he would have been eaten by the snakes. But uh, not everybody today has that kind of uh, protection, you know. So it just seems to me the story of Yosef from the psychological perspective is really a remarkable one. Uh, and uh, it's a very food for thought. Like I said before, there are a lot of people today who are the victims, but they don't have the inner fortitude of Yosef because they don't enjoy that special kind of ashkocha pratis. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough world out there. Anyhow, uh, that's what I wanted to say about the Parsha. Once again, I want to say that uh, Neshama Mark Rosberg Dr. Mark Rosberg, Shehav and Aliyah, uh, certainly was a hero to his patients, I'll tell you that much, and um, is, uh, I hope his family will find comfort in that. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.com support.rabbidavidkatz.com